Episode 23, Season 2, Talk Soups and CEOs. Dr. P.J. Capozzi gives us his talk. Do not wish it to be easier. Come on in. Welcome back, episode 23. can't believe we've done so many of these now. When we started podcasting, it was just sort of a thing we were trying out, and now we, we do one every week, and we it's a, it's a way we can bring the content of what we discuss at the uh, symposia, the summits, etc., to, to folks who can't make it. So I'm just so um, honored to, to work with such tremendous people and tremendous leaders that, you know, when I hear them speaking on a panel, or in this case, you know, giving a straight up talk to sort of challenge his colleagues, as PJ is about to do, and um, I just am, you know, I'm just blown away by these folks I get to work with, and I want to make sure that others who are not there for the whole IEI experience get to hear these great words. So you're going to hear uh, PJ Capozzi's, Dr. PJ Capozzi, Superintendent of Meridian, CUSD in Illinois. He's going to give a talk to his colleagues about just sort of, you know, why why it's okay that this year is difficult and why we need to sort of, um, as the millennials would say, feel all the feels as we go through the challenges of, of this year. So uh, this was about a month ago at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. Before we head there, you know, this is a, this is a time of year when everybody starts to, some districts start with graduations around this time. Um, I'm recording this a few days before Memorial Day. Uh, we start to look to next year, and there's never been more hope about a new school year than now. There really hasn't. Um, and everybody's taking stock of what new things we tried that worked and what didn't and what ideas do we think were really great, but then maybe, um, you know, aren't panning out maybe the, the way we thought or hoped. And also, I think a lot of folks in public education just need a break Think about it. If you're not in a job, if, you, if you've had to spend all day in a mask um, for anything, then imagine that your job requires it all day, every day, five days a week. It's, it's intense. That alone, you know, folks need a break. You know, kids get mask breaks during the day, but um, our teachers and our adults in schools need a week or two of mask break for the administrators and teachers, obviously, for summer break. So that's that's where we're headed this time of year for a little bit of a break. And it's never been more earned or deserved. I want to just share sort of an observation I'm, I'm pulling out from all different discussions we've been having, both with our partners and with members and other superintendents over the last couple of months. I think our, our, our friends in the industry, our vendor friends, our partner friends, need to track what's happening in the business. The way districts are doing business with, with partners is changing. Um, I think mostly for the better, at least to be more efficient. The front end of the sales cycle, if you will, being on video changes things. It, it, it shortens the overall cycle. That's, that's sort of what I'm picking up. So I just want to make sure our partners out there are, are tracking this and, and making plans appropriately. And, you know, it seems that the need to build relationships is just increasing 
and finding new ways to do so um, becomes the name of the game. And that's what we're thinking about here at IEI. But, you know, for, for superintendents out there, for the most part, it's about being in person someplace. And then, you know, what we're able to do at IEI is, is carry the in-person energy to virtual partners. And it really, it comes down to the level of engagement, right? A partner making an investment in IEI event is going to, is naturally going to be more engaged in every moment of what happens at that event um, than maybe a superintendent who's coming to sort of, who, who's really, you know, who, whose main goal in coming to the event is is networking and, you know, work, family, um, communing with like-minded colleagues, uh, vaccinated hugs <laughs> with people who understand what, what they've been doing all year. And, you know, for them, the in-person is really where where we get the highest level of engagement. We just don't get a ton of engagement from from superintendents, our members or others that we know for virtual stuff. We just don't. We don't get the same level of, of uh, you know, kind of diving in with our partners and really rolling up sleeves and thinking through the problems and thinking through solutions. That's just the nature of the beast. And they've told us that since this pandemic thing started. So that's why we spent this school year focused on in-person learning and fellowship opportunities for our superintendent members and others who've come into the fold and been guests with us and some of whom are going to join, some of whom may come back some other time, and that's great. Um, but that in-person connection is so important for the superintendents. But on the partner side, once I got the soups on site, then you know, we've, we have some partners from overseas, Canada, um, Sweden. We've had folks from, from all over the world this year come in virtually to our event, and it's a, it's a great opportunity to take advantage of that high level of on-site in-person engagement with the superintendents to build those relationships. What we're seeing is that, you know, we didn't ever set out to do a bunch of events in a year. We did, oh, I think we did almost eight events this year. I just came back from a regional retreat in upstate New York at the Turning Stone uh, Golf Resort with a group of New York State superintendents who happened to enjoy golfing on a weekend. So we did that <laughs> the day before the event. Everyone got to sort of spend some time um, together catching up on the year. And um, then we went and sat for a day and worked together and worked through solutions to problems that they're seeing, planning for summer, financial planning uh, with the revenue hits that are coming. And, you know, we got sort of Without this pandemic, I don't know that we would have gone back to doing regional events, but we did five of them this year. And we found a new way to do this that I think is going to be really interesting. And we're going to look to do it in partnership with some of our members in states where we have a couple of folks and want to have a regional event with, with their colleagues locally that will offer an, an alternative, a different way of convening, an IEI way of convening, if you will, our brand of, of PD, our brand of gathering. Um, which is different than what you get from your state, local state association. So this was a great success. The superintendents who came gave it really high marks in terms of the quality of the learning experience, the quality of the connections and, um, and the, the professional network and, you know, work family, if you will, aspect of what we do. So we're, we're going to keep doing it. And so look for more info from us on it. But it seems that email is pretty much just unless unless you know the people email is dead as a way to get into a district 
it's just it's that's it's you know let's let's declare it as being pretty much old school at this point which is amazing i was the first class of students at my university who were granted email accounts when we walked in walked onto campus and now email is you know sort of um we're playing taps for it um but that's where we are and so you know the other ways in the other ways to to get in front of districts continue to be old school relationship building except now you can either do the old school in-person thing with us in our kind of new way or you can participate virtually in what we do and get the same benefits of old school in person. And now that we can spread out into regional summits, uh, I guess we're calling these regional retreats, you can access some of those places and go deeper in, on a state or a region than regular IEI allows you to do. So look for us to continue these. This was a really great event, another one that was just good for the soul and good to see folks who have been working real hard and haven't been able to get out of the district all year and uh, really enjoyable and good good learning opportunity. So. The, the business is changing, folks, and you know the, the, the more we can do to get more of our partners connected with more of districts who need their services at reasonable fair price points, um, the better the outcomes will be for all of us involved who care about kids and public education. So that's sort of the theme of the next six months. Ch- change is here to stay. <laughs> IEI is going to continue rolling and evolving as we head into this summer. We're really excited about the Biltmore event July 14th. You're going to see superintendents roll their sleeves up and get into product development work. And I'll share more about that in upcoming episodes. But the exercise is put your heads together. Here's a a team of skilled product folks from one of our sponsors who are contributing in-kind product development resources. That's Classlink, Gaggle, Minus Education, and Paper. Sit down in a room, we're locking them in a room, and you're going to come up with the solution that you don't currently have and that no one's offering you. And we're gonna sort of map it out and, and come up with it's a it's a product design, product vision design exercise. And then we're gonna share it with everybody and hope that at some point somebody invests in somebody building those solutions. So Really excited about that new aspect to the Biltmore IEI Summit. We will broadcast all of this for folks to see. You can get tickets to this event just to sit in and listen to the superintendent conversations. We've got moderators ranging from Steve Kupfer of Red House to Phil Cutler of Paper to Jess Gartner of All of You, our old friend, um, and Jim McVetty of First Step Advisors will be moderating panels of superintendents. We've also got a group of uh, of of reviewers, product design sort of review panel, and that's Matt Greenfield, Jen Wu from Reach Capital, as well as Steve Kupfer. Um, And we're hoping uh, Camelback Ventures is gonna be part of it as well. So these are folks who will get to review these superintendent-led product exercises and give us their thoughts from the investor perspective. So, oh, as a motorcycle goes by the office, sorry about that. So we're really excited about it. Soupstalk.com, S-U-P-E-S-T-A-L-K.com, soupstalk.com. If you want to buy a ticket, just listen in to all the different panel discussions and the product design presentations. Otherwise, stay tuned for more info on regional stuff next year. IEI lead, IEI's first aspiring superintendent leadership development program kicks off in August. We've got 
some seats left. We've got a bunch of the seats are filled with really great aspiring superintendents or, um, or uh, a couple of first-year superintendents who are taking over the job and going to be part of IEI LEAD as we work together to develop our practice as leaders. Dr. Clayton Wilcox will be this sort of lead instructor on IEI LEAD. You can catch his blog posts on our site and on our LinkedIn related to what is going to be covered in terms of content. Um, and at the end of IEI LEAD, these folks will get a certificate from IEI saying that they have successfully completed the IEI LEAD develop, leadership development program which will be something they can put on their resume, not to mention get to build uh, a great network with some of the best uh, former superintendents, retired superintendents, and sitting superintendents in the country. And we're just really excited about it. Piggybacking off of that, we announced, uh, put out a press release last week. We're super excited that Dr. Excuse me, <laughs> Dr. Robert Avosa is joining IEI as a senior advisor. This is uh, a real thrill for us to have Robert on the team. He's going to be working with Clayton on the IEI lead program, and he's going to be sort of advising us in general about how we can better support the work of superintendents who are trying to do really great work out in the district. So this has been Robert's first week with us as an advisor, and it's already been just a great learning experience. So thank you, Robert, for, for teaming up with us, and we look forward to continued work together. So those are some updates from me. Uh, PJ gives a pretty compact and interesting talk, so I hope uh, listeners will not uh, be mad at me for um, asking your indulgence for a slightly longer intro than I usually do. But there's a lot going on here. It's been quite a month, and you know Memorial Day is coming up here uh, this coming weekend, and you know it's sort of a it's it's great because it's exciting. It's the unofficial beginning to summer, but it's also a very solemn and sort of you know heavy weekend when we think a lot about service and those who who gave gave it all uh, for our country and you know it's just a it's a nice time to reflect on how lucky we all are uh, to live in this amazing place and how but how much work we have to do to make sure every kid who goes to a school can access all the opportunity that this country affords folks so um, hope everybody has a great Memorial Day weekend, get some time for rest and relaxation with friends and family. And uh, we will see you afterwards with our next episode, which is a conversation with Matt Miller of Lakota Community School District in Ohio. So thanks very much for listening. We appreciate it. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do subscribe. Uh, we appreciate a review if you think we're doing a good job. And uh, this is a real treat to have this talk with PJ. So enjoy. So this is Dr. P.J. Capozzi. Uh, you may know him from such films as his TED Talks. If you haven't seen it, I know we put it on our social. We could put it again and make sure we share it out. It's good stuff. Um, P.J. spoke to us a couple of years ago in Puerto Rico, right? Yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah, it was the highest rated session of, of that event. I just want to sort of uh, to his horn a little bit. But um, thanks for being here. It's good to see you. Awesome. It's great to be here. So Doug asked me, he said, hey, do you want to speak? And so I went to him. So I'm rolling out and I go through all of it and like he listens for like three minutes and he says, uh, yeah, none, none of that. And I said, well, well what, do you, what do you want? He goes, yeah, just something like motivational and inspirational usually to close the conference. I said, Doug, like you've heard me talk. I'm not the motivational rah-rah guy. I'm not going to be jumping around on stage and stuff. And he's like, what, what stage, man? You're going to be in front of a couch. And so 
So to kind of put it into perspective. And so whenever I start the creative process and write a new speech, what I do is I take all my ideas out and I try to write a speech that's twice as long as I'm supposed to give. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, I whittle away and knock down all the excess thoughts and tighten it up. So use the exact same process for this. Got done about four weeks ago and started practicing the speech. Then about three weeks ago, there's a confluence of events that happened. Um, and as I thought on those, um, I just kept thinking like, this is what I need to share with a group of superintendents and partners um, from throughout the country. So I kind of completely abandoned the process, uh, thought on it this for a long time, wrote the speech last night. Um, and so hopefully uh, this goes well. So before I get started, I'm gonna ask for everyone to turn and talk with someone and just talk about their favorite speech um, that they've heard of all time, whether it's a convocation speech, a TED talk, something else that's gone viral, uh, share what it is. If you're in the chat, uh, go ahead and drop that link so that we can get a collection um, of what those are. I'll give you guys one minute and we'll start back um, at that time. All right, as we, as we come back together, I'll share mine. And that's the impetus for, for what kind of changed my thinking. So my favorite speech of all time is the Jimmy Valvano SB speech. So if any of you guys have watched that, it's been around for, for many, many years. Those of you not familiar with Jimmy Valvano, championship collegiate basketball coach for North Carolina State, then became an ESPN analyst and personality. Uh, he was dying of cancer and was brought up on the stage um, to give this amazing speech. And so when I say he was dying of, of cancer, he needed literal help of multiple people to get on and off stage, but gets on stage and gives this, this wonderful, wonderful talk. So that's one of two or three things that I kind of delay deliver email to myself all the time, just so that when uh, it comes to me, it's kind of like a surprise and I can digest it. And a lot of times what I do is I'll just put, hit the YouTube link, let it play in the background, go back to return emails. Um, but when it came back to me this time, I was in a stressed out place. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the time. I'm going to focus in on this. I'm going to watch it like it's the first time. I'm going to try to learn something from it. And so even though I've seen it a hundred times probably by now, there's a line this time that really, really stuck out to me. The line was that in every day, as kind of thoughtful people, as leaders, as human beings, we should try to think, we should try to laugh, and we should try to cry. And if we move ourselves through that range of emotions, in his words, we've had one hell of a day. And the reason that stuck out to me is because I couldn't remember the last time that I cried for anything of consequence. So as someone who tries to be introspective and someone who tries to be thoughtful and someone who tries to be pensive about how I approach the world, I think a lot. And I, and I laugh a lot, but I don't allow myself to be moved to the emotion of tears. And so I, I had these deep questions is just kind of kept rattling around my head. It's like, what, what is, what is preventing me from moving to tears on things of consequence? And I say of consequence intentionally, because um, if my wife were here today, she'd be laughing because if you put on a reality TV show and they do the backstories, like before the voice or American Idol, I, I'm in the corpse. <laughs> And if it's like Biggest Loser or like before the Olympics or E60 when they do the backstories, I cry like a baby for those. But in my own life of things of consequence, um, I can count on one hand the number of times that I remember crying. I cried when I proposed to my wife and I cried at the birth of our kids. And outside of those things, I couldn't remember when I was brought to tears. And that really, really stuck with me. I, I was kind of, uh, I, I was fighting that. And so, um, again, just trying to get you guys to talk and engage a little bit, if you're willing to. Just share 30 seconds back and forth of a time where you felt really vulnerable lately and allowed yourself to be moved to the emotion of tears. If you're not comfortable sharing, just sit and think quietly about it. So in my head, I keep wrestling with this. And it's, you know, a day later, two days later, three days later. 
And in the midst of this, I, I mentioned that I was stressed out. The reason I was stressed out is that my district was going for a referendum. And so any of you that have been through a referendum that's particularly a referendum that's not for something you know new and shiny, it's tough. And so when I first arrived in the district that I'm at eight years ago, we were on the verge of bankruptcy. My first board meeting, I had to let go of 12% of the staff just so that we could continue to make payroll. Uh, cut junior high sports, we gutted the district in order just to survive. Went out then and we were able to pass a referendum, but it was only for a term of seven years. So this was our attempt to reissue that. And so in those seven years, uh, like everything has been good. Like our narrative is wonderful. We've quadrupled our fund balances. We've won national awards. We're still the lowest funded school in the region. We're the highest performing school in the region. Everything on paper looks good. So I, we're just very confident in the narrative. We went out in November, tried the referendum, and we were resoundingly beaten. And so it was one of those times where like, we tried hard at it, but we certainly didn't leave it all out on the field. And so we had to go back in April and try it. Uh, to the tune of if this referendum were to fail, we'd lose 8% of our funding, we'd lose 18% of our teachers we'd have to reduce. So this was this was this was it, right? Like from an altruistic purpose, like I didn't want those people to lose those jobs, and I, I wanted to serve our kids the best we could. From a really selfish purpose, I've spent the last decade of my life trying to build something that would be undone based on this vote. And so we go out uh, and we did leave it all out on the field between November and April trying to get there. And the way it is in Illinois, and I think it's like this in most states, at every polling place, as soon as the, the data is in, they post it on outward-facing windows so you can consume it. So even before it gets to the county and certainly before it gets to the news. And so in our district, there's six polling places, only three that matter. Um, and two of them are typically neutral, right? Like, so sometimes they're pro-school, sometimes they're not. One is always anti-school. So I start there. So I'm sitting in the car by myself waiting to see the results. Now there's a watch party somewhere else, but I'm not going to go there because I don't, I, I'm not comfortable, right? If, in case we lose. The data comes out and, and we resoundingly are way, way ahead after this notoriously um, anti-school polling place. So in my head, I know we've won, right? Like if, if we've carried this, we're, we're going to win. Uh, we're going to win pretty comfortably, but not to the point where I'm confident enough to share that with the board or share that with my team at this point. So I call my wife to tell her and I cry. And so I started thinking about, like, what is it that brought me to that level of emotion, right? Like, this is the same thing I was struggling with as to why I don't get to that place. And so what happened for me is that as I thought about it, it became pretty clear. I was totally exposed and totally vulnerable in all three of those situations. I was all of me. Like, I was truly, deeply living in that moment. I was in the arena, right? Like, I was truly leading. I was all of myself. I was exposed whether it was asking my wife to marry me, which she said, yes, I didn't cry. She said, no. Um, or whether it was with the referendum or whether it's when watching the birth of your children, when you're completely powerless and helpless in that moment. And so I started thinking to myself, what, how, how can we reconstruct that? Right? Like if that's when we're truly living, if that's when we're the most of ourselves, now we can't be there all the time, right? Like that'd be exhausting. We can't live at that level of emotion, but how can we construct that? How can we create that for ourselves? And how can we, create that for our district. So again, quick turn to talk. When's the last time that you felt extreme pride in something that either you were able to accomplish or the people that you were serving your district were able to accomplish the hang your hat on moment? What happened in that kind of turn, talk, share that story about one minute to engage. So I kept trying to think, how do I, how do I teach this? How do I explain this? Um, and I came back to a symbol that I was obsessed with as an 11-year-old yellow belt, um, the yin-yang symbol. 
And so I think everyone's familiar with the yin-yang symbol, uh, and there's lots of different um, explanations for it is, but it's a, it's a circle with perfectly proportional in the kind of a circular fashion of, of black and white intermixed, and within each <coughs> segment, so within the black segment, there's a small white circle, within the white segment, there's a small black circle. And it's a, it's a Taoist teaching that really talks about duality. But there's lots of, like with any type of pseudo-religious or religious symbol, there's a million interpretations of it. With the Indian symbol, I default to the teaching of Jordan Peterson, who's a former Harvard professor, now a professor up in Canada, and really um, not for everyone. But I really, uh, I like him, and uh, I really like the way that he explains the Indian. And it makes sense, total sense to me, as I was trying to process, like, how can I learn to move myself to a deeper level of emotion and be my authentic self? And what he describes is that what the Indian is really talking about is this duality between order and chaos. And that within everyone's life, there's always order and there's always chaos. But when the magic happens, when we're thoughtful, when we're living our full life, is when we're on that thin line, right in between order, stability, and chaos. So to, to bring back what I was just talking about, like when you're truly vulnerable, you're right on that brink. Your life is on the brink of order, stability, and chaos. And so as I extrapolate that to what we're all going through this year, it became pretty clear why we're all exhausted. So when I look at the role of the superintendent, I think of schools. I think of schools as orderly, systematic, stagnant in some cases. And so they'd be that white portion of the union. And here we come in as that black circle. We are chaos. We are the one bringing change. We are the one bringing transformation. We are the one leading. Well, this year it's been completely flipped. School is chaos. And we are the one trying to bring order and trying to bring stability and trying to be there for everyone. We've completely inverted our roles for this year. And here's the truth of the matter, is that we spend all of our time, energy, and effort doing that for everybody else. But then, when we get back into our office and get a moment to close our door, we're still living in that chaos, and no one's coming to rescue us. So as we think about this year, of course, of course we're exhausted, because we've been teetering on this ledge the entire time. And so... As we continue to think forward and try to process forward, the question I have for you is what, how, how are you going to try to, to merge that line? What are we going to do to intentionally and systematically move ourselves out of chaos, but not all the way back to stability? Right? Like we have this, this really difficult challenge on, on how to face, we don't want to go back. I don't want the school of 2019 back. But I know we can't run at the pace of 2020, 2021 forever. So how exactly are we going to lead it? So it's really interesting to me because as I was thinking through this, I have some critical friends that I run my ideas by before I share them to a large audience. Uh, most of the time, they're more critical than friends. Um, and so I asked them, I said, what, where's, where's your spot? Where, where's your line? Do you know, like, where are you truly alive? It was a really good answer. He's in a different state, but in a district similar to me. So... Uh, explanation of my district, we are um, total Midwestern uh, Christian conservative demographic, um, 95 plus percent white, 90 plus percent red, um, very interesting demographic. And he is leading a very progressive social justice anti-racism campaign um, in a place that doesn't think they need it, right? There's generations steeped in racist ideology in the community, but nothing's apparent, and so he is working really, really hard on this. And so what he said to me, after a couple conversations, it didn't come through in the first conversation, but he called me back and said, 
you know what, in three years, I'm going to either have changed my community and I'm going to be fired. And I'm at peace with that. And so to me, there is no better explanation of somebody living that line of chaos and stability. So quick turn to talk, talk about any situation in your life right now where you feel that you're towing that line of chaos and stability, where you feel like you're truly leading, where you feel like you're truly alive. All right, so I picked you with some pretty macro, deep, spiritual stuff in the first half of the time that we get together. Um, this is what I tried to warn Doug about when he said do something motivational and inspiring. Uh, but I'm going to get there, I think. So um, as we contemplate where we're at, which I think we all hopefully are doing now, like are, where, where can we push? Where are we in chaos still? Where are we seeking stability? Um, I think there's three things that we can do. I think there's three things that we can do as we move forward this year um, that will bring us some joy, they'll bring us some inspiration, I think we'll do good work on behalf of our kids. And the number one thing that I'm going to encourage everyone to do is reject the urge for stability. So when we're in chaos, no matter what form or fashion it is in, we are naturally going to try and seek homeostasis. We're going to try and seek whatever is our normalcy. So the story that I'll use to share this is um, one that some superintendents might be able to sympathize with when I explain it. We had a new gym owner come in town. And so we're in a small town, very little business. So when any business comes to town, I try to engage them. And so before I can even reach out to the gym owner and, and say, hey, he calls and says, hey, can I set up a meeting with you? So, of course. So the guy comes in, little guy, full of energy, um, and starts, starts talking to me about my fitness. Nothing about, like, I thought we were going to talk about, like, wellness initiatives or whatever. It starts to be about my mind. And I'm looking, I'm like, I can curl you, man. Like, I don't know what, like, what, 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 are, what are we talking about? And so he's like, I got a challenge for you. I said, all right, what's the challenge? He's like, you got six weeks to lose 30 pounds. He goes, I'll work you out twice a day for free and I'll prep all your meals for free. I just get to document it on social media. You do it. I'll give a $2,000 scholarship to one of your kids going to help you later profession. And so I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I got a lot of stuff coming up. Like this is a great offer. And so he leaves the office. I call my wife. I'm like, man, I'm in trouble. I got to do this, right? Because it's 2000 bucks for one of our kids. I can't say no. And so I walk out and I see my secretary. I'm like, why the hell did we take that meeting? And she's like, it's already on social media. So he put that and challenged me on social media. So anyway, so I had to do this, right? So, so I go two, two times a week more before work, after work. He's prepping all my meals. The weight's flying off. I feel great. I like working out. So it works out wonderfully. Three months intensiveness. What happens nine months later? I'm like, eight pounds down from where I started, I gained most of it back. And I was enjoying the work, but I went from stable to chaos. And whenever we do this, I'm like, we see it in hiring all the time, right? You got a, a really outspoken, brash, confident superintendent. Who does the board hire next, right? Someone dates somebody that is um, super introverted. What do they do next? They kind of swing back and forth. We do this very naturally. So the question for me uh, that I want to ask all of you guys and kind of challenge you guys to think about is what is the one thing that you are firmly committed to not allowing your school to yo-yo back to next year? Because right now it's in chaos. And the instinct of almost everyone within that building and the organization is a composition of that organism, right? Like it's a living ecosystem within your school. It's going to want to yo-yo back to something. What are you committed to not allowing your school to yo-yo back to? One minute, turn it off. So here's the good news and the bad news. As leaders... We entirely control this. So one of the things that I say over and over and over again to my principals all the time is that as leaders, we get the behaviors we model and we tolerate. 
So whatever you just talked about in terms of whether you want to go backward or, or you're going to use this, because to me, the, I think we're either going to propel forward or we're going to yo-yo back. That's going to be determined based on you. And so the reason I thought it was important to kind of share that message and that first call to action with you is this, is like, if you haven't recognized the chaos that you've been in and you haven't recognized that no matter how strong you are, if you're Superman or whoever you are, you're going to seek stability. You have to start to have the mental awareness to figure that out, to prevent yourself from going back there, because that's what the natural inclination is going to be. It's impossible to learn how to swim when you're constantly trying not to drown. And that's where we've been for this entire year. It's just trying to survive. So the challenge for our leaders is to, can you pull yourself up? Can you look at it at the balcony level or the 20,000 foot view or the macro level, whichever vernacular you prefer, and actually take some lessons learned? And understand that you're going to want to go back to some semblance of normal. And that's okay. But we can't yo-yo all the way back. We have to be dogmatic about some things that we want to continue to move forward. So that's call to action number one. Call to action number two is I want you to rethink everything. So we're going to use a story of Wayne Huizinga. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. I think he's a really, really interesting entrepreneur and businessman. Um, if you're not familiar with his work, he literally made millions off of trash. So waste management is, is Wayne's company. Um, he also owned some other small entities like the Miami Dolphins, the Florida Panthers, Miami Marlins. Wayne, Wayne did good. Um, but the thing that I want to talk about with Wayne and kind of his successors right now is Blockbuster. So Huizinga bought Blockbuster for $18 million at one point. His entire business strategy with Blockbuster was market share, which is a, is a pretty sound business strategy. So there was a two-pronged approach that Huizinga took to this. One was that he wanted to build a brick-and-mortar blockbuster every day of the year. He wanted a new nationwide brick-and-mortar blockbuster to go up every day of the year. And, and though that sounds incredible, he was successful in that. The second was that he wanted to block any potential adversaries from coming into the market, which included him buying many small cable networks and just never launching them because he knew that the less cable access, the more opportunity for people that would want to go to blockbuster. So after eight years of business, he turned his $18 million investment into an $8 billion purchase of Viacom. So Viacom comes in, purchases, they stick with the strategy of market share, but they only focus on the brick and mortar. <clears throat> they made two critical mistakes. Two mistakes with this. One, Netflix came to them and wanted to be bought. They said no. Big mistake. Second one is that they said, okay, the streaming thing is going to happen. So you know who they hired to do the streaming background and services? Enron. That Enron. So as you know now, the story of Blockbuster is that it got really, really big, and then it failed miraculously. And I could have shared a story of many other companies and organizations as well. right? This could have been Toys R Us. This could have been BlackBerry, um, which I don't know if you guys remember, but I had a hot pink BlackBerry back in the day. I thought it was very, very cool. There was a lot of tips um, at the time. We're not going to talk about that anymore, though. Uh, we can talk about MySpace. There's any number of massive companies from yesteryear that failed. So what I want you guys to do in a quick turn of talk is talk about why you think these massive organizations that are cultural institutions fail. One minute, turn it off. So the, the moral of the story is this, is that having a really sound strategy that works is great. But that same strategy isn't going to work forever. Right? Like we have to continue to rethink and deploy different strategies. 
And here's a couple words of caution for everyone that's watching this. People that run large organizations don't usually get there by chance. They're smart, ambitious, well-intentioned, thoughtful people. So when you look around this room, both real and virtual, what do you see? Smart, well-intentioned, thoughtful, driven people. So just because we're those things doesn't mean that we can become, we can insulate ourselves from becoming stagnant in our beliefs and our strategy. Right? So there's something to be said about having confidence in yourself and driving really hard and believing in what you're doing and the ethos of what you're doing, but being really flexible in strategy. Here's a couple more words of caution for, for all of us in the room. Smart people, this is research-based, smart people have a harder time changing their mind. The smarter you are, oftentimes the more work you put in to become, coming to a concrete opinion or belief. And therefore, it is harder for you to change that. Another way this manifests for our data people, and met with a lot of data people in the one-on-ones yesterday, is that even in data analytics, what happens is that the better you are at math, the worse you are at interpreting data when it doesn't fit your initial viewpoint. So it's mind-blowing, right? Like, the better you are, the worse you are when it doesn't fit your viewpoint. So right now, the question that I have for us, like, what are you going to rethink, right? What is something that you've been dogmatic about, steadfast in your belief, and now you're executing? Are we looking at that scientifically? Do we know if we're executing against a goal? Are we being successful in it? So the first question that I asked you guys to think about is, what are you not going to allow to yo-yo back? So now I want you to think about what is something that you are really strong, confident, that you want to hold steady on, that hopefully you're going to spend the mental energy either on the flight home or the drive home to rethink. It might end up in the same place, but it deserves the energy of rethinking. 45 seconds, turn to talk. What do you vow to rethink in the next couple of days? Okay, so I'm going to hit you really quick with call to action number three, and then we'll conclude and, and send you uh, on the way, at least I, my portion of this is done. Call to action number three is that we have to quit wishing it was easier. I want to say this with true like empathy and sympathy. This year is hard in a number of ways. But one thing that I vowed to do in my life is never to wish away time. And what I think a lot of us are doing right now is just wishing ourselves to the end of the school year. And that's not what leaders do. And then the second aspect of that to me is like, are we really sure it's going to get easier? What makes us so sure? When we have, and I think Doug and I does a great job of getting superintendent emeritus in, in here and veterans in here. When I have conversations with them, they don't ever tell me like, oh yeah, it got way easier in 2011. It's just that the problems continue to multiply. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to get more skilled, right? Like think about running a Zoom meeting um, 14 months ago compared to now. Like we got more skill, but that work is still work. And so I'm not confident things are going to get easier. I think we'll get better, but I think that flip of perspective has to take place for us. If we really want to be the game changers that I think we want to be as being part of this organization and being superintendents that are, are answering a calling, it, we have to quit thinking about letting it get easier and start thinking about how we're going to get better. The second part of it is this, is that I hear a lot of people talk about how the pandemic has changed everything. And I'm just going to reject that plainly. I think the pandemic has revealed a lot about us. 
So when you think about the, the largest takeaways is that, hey, we have some kids that didn't have internet access at home um, and we had to change what we did. We knew that. I knew that. Embarrassing, I didn't do anything about it till the pandemic. It revealed that I was perpetuating a gap. I wasn't closing it. When we think about the fact that we've got kids that when they are not structured at school, don't have the support at home to be successful, did that change? No, we knew that. So as you go through and when we talk about one of the things I was just having a conversation with is geography doesn't need to limit access. We knew that too. It just revealed things to ourselves. It didn't really change anything. And so when we keep leaning on the pandemic as, man, this changed everything, maybe a little bit, but what happened more than anything else is it revealed who we really are. It revealed us our own warts. It showed us our blind spots that we were unwilling to look in the mirror for. And so as a call to action moving forward, I think it's really imperative for us to quit wishing it was easier and to quit talking about how things changed and to understand that it just revealed who we are and it revealed our faults. And that's okay. But we have to quit thinking about how we want it to be easier and start thinking about how we're going to get better in this work. So as I close, I'm just going to reiterate kind of the, the conceptuality, <clears throat> excuse me, and the duality of the concept of chaos versus stability. And towing that line is where leaders live. It's where we're authentically ourselves. It's where I think we are undeniably our best. And so within your life, whether it's your personal life, whether it's your professional life, heck, whether it's your love life, how do you find that, that, that match between stability and order? And in doing so, I hope that, that we listen to these, these calls to action that I presented. I want us to rethink everything. I want us to reject that notion that we have to get to stable. And lastly, I want us to quit wishing it was easier. I really thank you for your time. I appreciate your attention. Have a great day. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Episode 23, Talk Soups and CEOs. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.